dive right in with our question of this week, which is, um, uh, what happens after death? And so, uh, I hope you have a lot of time, like last week. Uh, it reminded me of a story when I was a kid. I went to the pool every summer, and we would, of course, go swimming and jump in the deep end and play Foursquare and do all sorts of fun things. And one thing we would do was play, it was chicken fight, right? Have you ever done that when someone gets on your shoulders? And you, you square off, and if you're on the bottom, you kind of get the you kind of get the short end of the of the whole deal. But you know you're you're squaring off, and this kid, and we decide to chicken fight, and so this kid gets on my shoulders, and I stand up, and he really started to kind of squeeze me pretty hard with his thighs, and I thought, wow, he must have been using a thigh master. Remember that? Um, remember that unfortunate, unfortunate. Um, piece of, uh, of uh, exercise equipment in the 1980s all, was only really eclipsed in awkwardness by the shake weight. I tell you, the shake weight was um, even worse. Um, but anyway, Thighmaster is on my shoulders, and he is, he is intimate with my neck. And so anyway, we're fighting, and uh, we, we lose, and we tip over, and we go underwater. Well, two feet of water. Well, Thighmaster doesn't let go of me. And I'm underwater, and I'm thrashing. I'm only 11 years old, and, and I'm panicking because he's not letting go of my neck. And I don't, just, I don't just swallow water. I inhale water. And something happened that's only happened that one time in my life, but it's very real. My life flashed before my eyes. And I was only 11, so it didn't take very long. But it's true. It happened. I can't explain it, but it did happen. It's like on a metaphysical level, like something... And my soul and my body said, whoa, 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 we're about to cross some sort of threshold here. Um, and thankfully, Thighmaster released his death grip off of my, <laughs> my body. And I sprang out of the water and leaned over the side of the pool and coughed and looked up at the lifeguard like, really, kid? I mean, I know you're getting paid four bucks an hour or whatever, but could you have done a better job than that? You know, I've always been fascinated by near-death experiences. You probably are, too. They're not like biblical canon or anything but they are people's story, and they're powerful, and you can't really refute something like that, because that's what they experienced. Maybe one of the most famous is a book and a movie called Heaven is for Real. A little boy who, named Colton Burpo, three years old, uh, son of a Wesleyan minister, complained of stomach pain one day. The parents said, oh, it's probably just upset stomach, and they gave him some medicine. Well, the next day, he passes out. His, his appendix bursts, and they rush him to the hospital, to remove it, and toxins get released in his body. The parents go in different rooms and pray uh, fiercely for their son, and he's in the hospital for about three weeks, and, and they told him, they told the parents, he's probably going to die, and he was in a coma for a while. Well, after he came out of the coma, uh, and he left the hospital, and he was better, um, the, the story with three-year-olds, they're not very forthcoming with information, you know, and as the months went by, they began to hear him say things that got their attention. Like he said, you know, mommy and daddy, I saw you praying for me when I was on, in the hospital. And he started to give details of all the hospital rooms and what they were doing and things that he never could have known. And then he saw a picture of his grandfather, a great-grandfather, uh, when he was a young man. He said, oh yeah, I, I met him. I met him in heaven. And, but he didn't wear glasses because people don't wear glasses in, in heaven. <laughs> that is such good news, by the way. <laughs> I'm so glad about that. <laughs> so glad. He, this is particularly phenomenal. He met a young girl in heaven, he claims, uh, that was his sister. Now, he already had a sister on earth named Cassie. He didn't know that his mother 
had miscarried a little girl uh, a few years before Colton was even born. And he met a little girl in heaven that said, I, I'm, I'm your sister. I'm so glad to have someone from my family finally here. Just a phenomenal story. He even claims that he met Jesus and, he, and, and the father began to show him pictures of Jesus for three days. Like, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus and all these different iterations. And Colton every time was like, no, no, that's not what he looks like. He finally showed him a painting by a child prodigy named Akiana, if you've ever heard of her. Her work is incredible. She painted a picture called Messiah of Jesus, and, she, and Colton said, that's him. That's what he looks like. I mean, it's just phenomenal. So you hear all these accounts of life after death, near-death experiences, heaven. Uh, there's also near-death experiences of the other side that you could look up that are also out there. Um, and I'm going to look at two passages today, but a whole lot of Bible I'm going to try and fit in in not a lot of time. Uh, so put your thumb or your mind on John 5, 25 through 29. In the book of John, Jesus speaks a lot about resurrection, about uh, he is the life, all that sort of thing. So John chapter 5, we're also going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talks a lot about uh, our glorified bodies and what does that mean after this life is over. So everyone wants to talk about heaven, right? But not everybody necessarily wants to die. Or should I say, not everybody is prepared to die. It reminds me of the blues song uh, by Albert King. It said, everybody wants to hear the truth, but still they all want to tell a lie. Oh, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. So I'm going to begin with a wonderful thought on a cold, wet January morning. Death is inevitable. And the stats are really good. It's one out of one of us will experience it one day. It's going to happen. Ecclesiastes 3 said there's a time to live, there's a time to die. Hebrews 9.27 is appointed under men and women once to die and then the judgment. A quote by George Washington that's often used, attributed to him, and shows up in the play Hamilton, is that living is hard, dying is easy. It is inevitable, and we come to grips with it. It can give you proper context for life, actually. Now, when I was young, I, you, never think you're, you just never think you're going to die. You know? um, but as you get older, it becomes more and more of a reality. Psalm 90.12 says, Teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. A great reminder that it doesn't have to be something we're afraid of, but it's something we can leverage to grow in wisdom, to go in grow in appreciation, grow in gratitude, grow in thankfulness, to see that, yes, we are allotted a certain number of days. And we are like the flowers of the field, here today and gone tomorrow. It's not necessarily has to be a depressing subject. But someone's probably thinking right now, this is a depressing subject. Do we have to talk about this? Well, y'all ask the questions, not me. I'm just here to help answer them. But it's a very good question. And it came through on a number of questions. Um, because if you have someone close to you that you have known, which a lot of us have, that have passed away, it becomes very much something we think about. Um, and especially as we get older. So there's always um, other questions around this that people ask, that I ask as well. Things like, will I know other people in heaven? Will they know me? Do people on heaven know what's going on in earth? on earth? Or do people in hell know what's going on on earth? What kind of a body will I have? Will I finally lose these 10 pounds that have been hankering me for so long? Now, I'm going to answer those questions, not about the weight loss, but I can answer a lot of the other questions, maybe, with what the Bible has to say. John chapter 5, verse 25, Jesus says, 
Very truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be astonished at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. And he will, and will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So what can we extrapolate from Jesus' words here? The first is that death is not the end. It's just not the end of, of life. You don't shake hands with a mere mortal. That there is, according Jesus' implication here, is that we live on. There is another reality after this life. After the grave, you continue to live. Now, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what you believe and who you put your trust in. Some believe, I know pastors believe this as well, in, uh, that after death, we are just simply annihilated. Which, talk about depressing. <laughs> just annihilated. But the, the theory, and it's really a way to kind of sidestep the idea of hell. We, just, we don't want to talk about that. So let's just say we're all annihilated instead. Um, you're just utterly destroyed. And the, the, the thinking goes, um, I have no memory of my life before this life, so therefore when this life is over, it'll be the same. Just bookended by nothingness. Um, but where's the proof? You, you can't prove that. We at least have Jesus speaking uh, truth. His words say otherwise. Um, according to him, it's not the end. That death is not the end. That physical death is what we would call the first death. And then after that death, there can be a resurrection or a second death that Jesus says here in John 5. So in, in the second point is that he's saying after death, there are two realities. There are two realities. Uh, again, he said, don't be astonished at this. Even back then, people were astonished. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Don't be astonished, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil, they will also be resurrected in a way, but to be condemned. According to Jesus, there is either two locations, heaven or hell. John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will, this is maybe my, one of my favorite things Jesus ever said, it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. It is God's will. Say, well, I wonder what God's will is. There you go. God wants everyone to live, okay? He wants everyone to be raised up at the last day. People, we put ourselves where we want to go. I don't, God does not cast people into hell. He doesn't cast people into heaven. It is, as we, it is, we have agency. We have the ability to choose. Heaven, heaven to an unbeliever, heaven to a Satan worshiper or something, would be like hell, right? They wouldn't want to be there. It's not where they want to be. Now, God wants them to want to be there, but we have, tr we have the ability to choose. Jesus says, if you trust me, if you put your trust in me, I will not reject you, and I will raise you up on the last day. The third point of Jesus speaking is that there's a, there is a final judgment, you see this throughout the scripture, throughout the New Testament especially. There is a final judgment. 
Paul refers to this in Acts chapter 17. He's preaching in Athens to a huge crowd. And he refers to this when Paul said, while God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Matthew twelve thirty six. Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter or tweet. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, when, when the Apostle Paul writes, hold every thought captive, our words are very important, what we say or don't say. And I even tell my children this, just because you think it, you don't have to say it. Um, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, some people, some Christians even squirm at this idea of an ultimate judge of God, like God being the ultimate judge. Uh, that it, it sounds not politically correct, and we, we just don't want to go there. But biblically, you can't ignore that. You can't ignore what I just read you. And there's so much more that we could do with that. If you think of it this way, if we have justice here on earth, we have courts and laws and things like that, as flawed as it is, why in the world wouldn't there be justice after this life is over? It makes zero sense. If God is perfectly good, and he is, why in the world wouldn't God have the ultimate answer over evil when this life is over? I mean, without judgment, there is no delineation of good and evil at all. So if God is the ultimate good, we have to know that evil does not get away with it. That, that really God's judgment should help us forgive others. Because ultimate, ultimately, it all comes down to him and what he decides to do or not do. He is the ultimate judge and jury. Not me. Thank goodness. Every wrong in the universe will be paid for. Now, this is an important question, too, about after death. That in the moment that our physical body, no heartbeat, no brain activity, what, what happens? Do we go straight into heaven? Is there a thing called soul sleep? Where you simply just take a long nap, long, nice long nap? Or uh, a place called purgatory, which got the Catholic Church in all sorts of problems. That's why we're here, Protestants. is because you had to pay, you had to get your relatives out of purgatory, pay the church to get them out of that holding pattern in order to move on. Uh, we had a problem with that. Um, and so, but after death, what happens? Do those things happen? Now, soul sleep, purgatory, of course, some people believe that. Um, I think both of those have an inherent bias that, that time is a linear process even after death. That time is, it's, it's thinking in the terms of time. Well, I believe that after death, I think we slip out of the, the, the flow of time. So, Jesus indicates in a number of places that at death, you are, you are immediately in the presence of God. And you see this repeated through experiences people account of this tunnel of light, which you've heard a lot about. Um, but again, for example, Luke 23, Jesus is hanging on the cross between two criminals. And one of them, in a perfect duality of human nature, one of them's looking at Jesus and saying, throw up, throw up Luke 23, is, is yelling at Jesus. They're literally asphyxiating to death, bleeding and can't, they can't breathe. Uh, nailed through their wrist, attached to a cross, and this guy's yelling at Jesus, aren't you the Messiah? Couldn't you save us and you? And the other criminal on the other side says, don't you fear God since we are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus, think about this. He is on the cross. He is dying for the sins of the world. If anybody had the opportunity to say to him, give me a second, <laughs> right? Look at this guy and go, hey, wait. Jesus is still dispensing mercy and grace and love while nailed to the cross. And he says to this man, today you will be with me in paradise. That he, there's an immediacy. Now, <laughs> this criminal as well, he doesn't get catechized. He doesn't join a church. I mean, all of that. He simply makes, makes a profession of faith. Even at his death, very deathbed. It's probably the last sentence that God ever spoke. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, another question that comes up is, what kind of a body will we have? And this got really popular in the 1980s when this movie came out called Cocoon. You guys remember that movie? A bunch of old people in the rest home and, um, and people would die. And it was kind of creepy, really. <laughs> and they would float around and they would glow. It was kind of odd. But people are like, what's our body going to look like? What's it going to be like? Because here and now, our bodies can disappoint us, right? Now, unless you're a narcissist, you probably think you're pretty awesome. But for the rest of us, I don't just need a software update. I could use a hardware update, right? You could too. Well, the Apostle Paul gets on top of this and a lot in 1 Corinthians 15. I don't have the time to read all of it. I encourage you to read it yourself. But let's look at verse 42. Jesus said, it's the same with the, re- I mean, Paul says, the same with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to life forever. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. See, he's using this analogy of an outer shell of a seed falling away and something new and beautiful coming out of it. See, without death, there is no resurrection. Without something dying, there cannot be life. And then, biblically, always, there is its bodily resurrection. That it is not this sort of, I'll fly away by and by, I'll leave my ugly body behind, I'll get out the prison bars of my body and uh, fly away. No, no, bodily, we will one day all be resurrected um, the totality of who you are. Because when Christ was resurrected, was he a physical, was he a, just a spirit? Was he a ghost? Or was he in a glorified body? Clearly, his body is resurrected. For example, they saw his wounds. Thomas touches them. Jesus tells them to touch them. They saw him eat fish. Um, he didn't like float around like Casper the ghost. He wasn't translucent couldn't see inside of his, his insides or something. Uh, and yet in his glorified body, they recorded that he would pass through walls. He would appear and disappear at will in an instant. So you see this idea that our bodies after death will be similar, but they'll be different. For example, on the road to Emmaus, uh, Jesus is resurrected. He appears to two of the disciples. They don't recognize him. They don't even know who he is. Um, Mary thought he was a gardener. <laughs> but so it's, it's him but it's an even more perfect him and it'll be you but it'll be an even more perfect to you if you're disabled on earth you will not be disabled in heaven if you're sick or disease ridden that will be gone in heaven people ask me 
or vast. How old will we be in heaven? Reminds me of a joke. What has no body and no nose? Nobody knows. Nobody knows how old you will be in heaven. And honestly, I don't really care. I'll just be glad to be there. Uh, some say they look like, like the Colton Burpo said, I saw my great-grandfather. He was a young man. He was about 30 years old. Other people account seeing children. I don't fully understand that. But what it is clear is that in a glorified body, there will be no more sort of senior moments. <laughs> Isn't that nice? No more of the body failing. Just an upgrade. And your new body will be like Jesus in that regard. 1 John 3, 2 said, Dear friends, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Other people are asking, um, will we know other people in heaven, or will they know us? Well, I'll ask that question. I answer that question with my own question. Do you know people on earth? I would hope that we're not more ignorant in heaven. That would be a serious problem. Yes, I think you will know other people in heaven. You will know them actually even more fully than you know people now. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. In a sense, your knowledge will be perfected. And all things, or really the desire to sin, will be gone, which is even hard to wrap our minds around. I saw a video of a man who claimed that he died and went to heaven, and this fascinated me, and it made sense. He said he saw the city of God. And now on earth, we're used to a, a horizon line, because we live on a globe, unless you're a flat earth person. We can talk after the service is over. But we live on, you can see the curve of the earth, you can see, you can't see past that. He said on earth, on, in heaven, there's no horizon line. I can't even imagine that. But it makes sense. And that there's no stars in the sky because we are above all of that. You know, like there, there's, there's so much, people explain, they describe sounds they've never heard, heard before, music they've never heard before, colors they've never seen before. Okay, there's stuff beyond our temporal, terrestrial understanding of reality that we have limits to that will be that life to come, it'll be beyond limit in that regard. Another question is, do people in heaven know what is going on here? Are they watching us? You know, I've been through this, you have too. When you lose a loved one, especially suddenly, the desire to communicate with them is very strong and very deep. Um, and, you know, like you, I've gone to graves and uh, niches and columbariums and thought about that person wept, prayed, uh, you know, and I think that's good. I think that's healthy. That's, that's a healthy part of grieving. The Bible really does condemn trying to communicate with the dead. It's never a good idea. Psychics, Ouija boards, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, it's playing with fire, uh, and it's very much not something we should ever want to do or try to do because we actually can get deceived very easily in the midst of that. If your loved one is in Christ, they're with God. And you're going to see them again one day. So I, don't, I do not recommend trying to communicate with anybody in that regard. Um, but do, do they know what's going on? I think they do. I think, I think they do. I mean, Hebrews 12 gives this picture of a great cloud of witnesses. 
that's cheering us on as we run this life of faith, right? That there's an element that, that they are aware very much of what is happening. Um, or Jesus said, there is rejoicing in heaven every time a sinner repents. So that implies, right, that they understand what's going on earth and they're, they're celebrating the work of God, what's happening on the earth. Like the angels when Jesus was born, uh, thousands of them appear in the sky because they knew what the, God's plan was unfolding on the earth, right? So there is a, there is, these two worlds are communicating with each other. I don't fully understand how that is. But I'm going to close. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 21, part of it to you. And I want you to close your eyes and picture this, uh, this story in your mind, this vision of John in your mind. Um, and as I, as I read it, I want to close with this image of hope, that this is the ultimate hope that we have in Jesus in the life to come. Then I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned by her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God." He will wipe every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. He said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children.